0: Cool. Well, happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst uh, other things while I've been off, in the last few days I've uh, celebrated uh, my half century. <laughs> and, um, unfortunately this is something that I not do not have in common with the uh, the English cricket team at the moment. Not many of them have celebrated half-centuries. I, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, Pete Williams, who quite often sits there at the front, he's, he's in Australia at the moment. It was One of his dreams was to go over and watch... Oh, bless him, to watch the Test match. And so he's watched two of the Tests, and boy, oh, boy, you know, I felt really, really sorry for him. Uh, until at 2.30 in the morning on New Year's Day, I got a text from him. Uh, telling me that he was sitting on the beach in 30 degrees. (laughs) And suddenly I felt slightly less sorry for him. And uh, I thought I was doing quite well at mastering envy, but I found that there was some envy burning deep in the coals of my heart. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Well, it's really good to be back. You know, I've visited a number of churches while I've been on sabbatical, which has been fantastic. Fantastic. But I realized just being back today and just being back in worship here and with you guys that actually, you know, I feel a little bit like uh, Dorothy on um, The Wizard of Oz. You know, I should click my heels together and say there's no place like home Uh, because that's what it feels like. Uh, It does actually feel like that. And sometimes, you know, it probably takes us to go away from what's familiar for us to appreciate it. And, uh, And so I come back. To, to this place, meeting in a canteen, and uh, I've been to some very big churches with very uh, impressive sound systems and loved worshipping there. But isn't it amazing that I can come back to you guys and just feel like I've come home. And I've probably worshipped in our corporate worship with more intimacy and sense of God's presence than I have in all those other places I've been. And I thank God for those places. I've loved being there. But isn't it something that when you come home to your family, it should tell us something about what the church is like, and it's his gift to us. So whenever you are feeling like, "Well, oh, we're still a bit small, and we're in a canteen, and sometimes it still smells of Friday sprouts when you walk in, <laughs> actually, do you know what? This is his gift to you. This church is his gift to us. So let's be grateful. Okay, we're going to spend a bit of time over the next couple of weeks uh, looking at a period of history in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, and so I'm going to set you a bit of context, and then uh, we'll read a bit from the Bible, and I want to leave a little bit of time at the end for us to pray. You know, a number of churches will, over New Year, do these things called watch night services, and it's a bit difficult for us to do that at the moment um, but uh, this is a good moment for us just to pray for the new, into the new year, and so uh, I'm not going to speak for a hugely long time. I've got my uh, phone in front of me so I can keep checking the time so that I can leave enough time for us to pray before we go home today. It would be a good thing for us to do. So the part of church, of the, of the life of the people of Israel, that I want us to just have a little bit of a look at is when they come back from exile in Babylon, So what's happened is that over many years, basically since, really since, King David and King Solomon the history of the people of Israel has been like this. You read through the book of Kings and the books of Chronicles, and you read about all these kings, and you'll read one of them where it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and you get to the next one, and it says, he he did well in the sight of the Lord, and you think, okay, we're on an upper here, and you turn the page to the next chapter, and the next king comes through, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord again, and the people have put up the Asherah poles, and they're into idolatry again, and it goes like this, it goes up and down, until you get to the end, of the book of 2 Chronicles, and it says this, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And that's the moment when God stirs up King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire and he comes and he takes the people of Israel into exile for between sort of 40 and 70 years they're in exile. And then God stirs up things again in the nations and the nation of Persia overtakes Babylon and a guy called King Cyrus comes to power. And King Cyrus directs the people of Israel and their leaders to go back and to rebuild the temple. Because when Babylon had taken the Israelites into captivity, they had also destroyed the magnificent temple that Solomon had built and all of Jerusalem with it. And so the exiles are sent back. And they go back with expectation and anticipation and it takes many months for them to travel from Babylon back to Jerusalem and when they get there they find it's in ruins and yet they are filled with a sense of hope because God's with us. And so the first thing they do is they build the altar. They build the altar amongst the ruins, I guess, of the old temple and they begin to worship and they begin to sacrifice again and then they begin work on the foundations. And within a year or so Uh, A year to 18 months, from what we can tell from the Bible, the foundations are laid. But then, huge opposition comes, because while the Israelites have been in captivity in Babylon, many other nations have started to encroach upon the promised land. And so, it's no longer just their land anymore. There are outsiders, there are other settlers in the area, and they start to oppose and bring opposition And so the work stops, and the work on the foundations of the temple stops. The foundations, we read that they're pretty much laid by the sound of it, but the work stops because of opposition. And it stops for 15 years, and this is where we are going to pick up the story. So 15 years, the work has stopped, foundations are laid, the temple is still in ruins, but there are new foundations there. There is still an altar, And 15 years along the line, God sends into this situation two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, and they begin to speak into the situation and bring the word of the Lord. And so we're going to read the first chapter of the book of Haggai together. I think it should come up on the screen for you, and it's from the ESV version of the Bible. So Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, so by now Cyrus has died and Darius is the new king uh, of Persia. So in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. These two guys are the guys who are now leading the people of Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Sound familiar? (laughs) Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehosadak the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you create moments for us. And we thank you that... This is a moment as we enter another new year, as the old year passes, as the year turns. You've, it's like you've created a moment for us again. And uh, we, we want to also come and to consider our ways at this moment that you've created for us. And so, Father, I ask that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Uh, so that we might hear you and see you, see things as they really are. Lord, we're aware that uh, what we can taste and touch and see is only a part of what reality is. When we know you, we, we see that there is more than just what's ahead of us. And we pray that you will help us to see it, to grasp it, to embrace it again, all that you have for us, all that you expect from us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God creates a moment, and he creates a moment for these people who've spent 15 years working on what he says are their own panelled houses. And God creates this moment. And what he does is he reveals to them through the prophet Haggai actually what, life's really, what has really been happening to them. My guess is that if you had talked to the people during that 15-year period when things were tough for them, when it felt like they were earning money but it was just flowing straight through their pockets, and it felt like they were working hard at harvesting and yet the crops were just meagre, I think if you'd have asked them, they'd have probably said something like, well, it's, it's the climate we're in at the moment. It's the economic climate. Things are tough at the moment. And uh, perhaps they'd have had this type of conversation. Well, yeah, maybe they had a visitor to their home, and uh, someone would say to them, oh, I like what you've done with the house. Looks, looks really good. Looks great. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've been working hard. We've, we've had the loft conversion done, and the next thing on the agenda is the, the en-suite. And, uh, but, you know, it's been really tough, I have to say. We've been working long hours. Don't see much of the family these days. But, you know, next door had their loft done, and we've just seen it looks really good, and... Made a difference to them, so uh, you know we thought we'd we'd go for it. Yeah, okay, no, it looks good. It looks good. So how are things at the church? How are things at the temple? Well, you know, it's 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 tough. It's quite tough. Um, we're at the early early stages. You know, foundation building. It's quite tough. Quite hard work. And uh, we'd like to be more involved. You know, we would, but you know, it's just the season of life we're in. Really, we've got. I'm working long hours at the moment and, you know, the stage the kids are at at the moment and, you know, we, we're just desperate for this third bedroom. So, uh, you know, the loft conversion and and there's a bit of pressure on the bathroom with the girls. So, you know, we just feel it'd be really helpful to have the en suite and then we can just release that bathroom for the girls. Um, yeah, sounds really sensible. Sounds great, yeah. But... Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, it is quite hard work. I just feel life's a bit of <laughs> a pressure at the moment. Yeah. So, involvement in the church? Well, yeah, I mean, like I say, we, you know, we go when we can. Yes. We make it most, most Sabbaths we can get there, but, but midweek, it's a bit of a bit, you know, because I'm just doing these such long hours at the moment. And, and how's, how's your giving going? Wow. Well, I mean, we'd love to give more, we would. We would really would love to. We just, just find it's really tough at the moment. We've got the, the big mortgage, and we are saving for well, for the extension and the, and the en suite. Yeah, for the extension and the ensuite. Yeah, we're saving for that. Do, do you think at all this, the way you're feeling about life, about work, about... It feels like the money's going through your pocket. Do you think that's anything to do with your involvement in the temple, church? I don't think so. I mean, we're all in the same boat on this street. We're all doing the same, really, working on our houses. And so, you know, I just think it's probably just where we're at, really, in life, you know. And, um, you know, you want to provide for the family. You don't You see see what everybody else is doing and you just, just... I want to be a good provider, so... I just think it's the season we're in at the moment. I'm sure we'll be able to give ourselves more to the temple. Probably when I'm about 65, I could see I'm be able to do a bit more then. Mm. And what God does is he breaks in and he interprets actually why the people are feeling like this. The people are feeling like their money's going through holes in their pockets. And God interprets it and what he says to them is actually... <laughs> It's me. It's me. I'm doing that for you. I'm doing that to you. Why is he doing that to them? Because he is a jealous God. It says in Deuteronomy, uh, So, no, sorry, in Exodus it says, that one of God's names is jealous. He, said, I, he says, my name is jealous. Now that may not be a name that we're too comfortable with, when it replies to God. We prefer quite a lot of the other names, to be honest. God is love. God, my provider. God, the almighty. Emmanuel, God with us. We, We love loads of those other names. It was interesting. I was looking up on a website where someone had written all the names of God down and a big list of them, fantastic. Do you know they'd not put that one in? They'd not put jealous in. And yet the book of Exodus tells us that God says, my name is jealous. And when you look at the root of that word jealous in the Old Testament, it can also be interpreted as zealous. And some uh, interpreters of the Bible, some wordsmiths look at that word and think that the root might even be something to do with the colour red. It's like, oh, I'm jealous, I'm zealous for you. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for us and for our attentions. Now, maybe that's not what you feel you signed up for when you became a Christian, but sorry, that is the deal. He is a jealous God. And that word jealousy is used usually in the context of a husband and a wife. And God often talks about the people of Israel like they're an unfaithful wife and he's jealous for them. It's not like my envy of Pete being on the beach in 30 degrees. That's something that's not mine to have, but I'd quite like it. (laughs) Jealousy is when, no, this belongs to you and you want it back because it belongs to you because you're passionate about it. And God is jealous for us. God was jealous for this people and for their attention and for their obedience because he knew that they were throwing their lives away after rubbish and do you know it says in the Bible doesn't it that God doesn't change and sometimes we can think oh the God of the New Testament perhaps he's not so jealous but actually if you read what Paul says in Corinthians at the end of 2 Corinthians he He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, look, you're getting into idolatry. You're starting to look at other stuff. Your eye's gone off the ball. You're going to provoke God to jealousy if you're not careful. So the New Testament is very clear that God's nature has not changed. He still remains jealous. And if we take our eye off him, and if we begin to pursue other things, and if we get caught up with the world's priorities that can seep in so easily... He will not stand on the sidelines. But do you know what? I can think of times in my life when I've thought, "It's okay," because there's no lightning bolt from heaven. It's not like he's stepped in. I haven't had a prophetic word. Do you ever walk? If you've ever, if you've ever been to 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 meetings where there's a prophet, do you ever think at the back? I just hope he doesn't point to me. Well, I've never had that, and after a while you can begin to think well he doesn't okay perhaps he's not that bothered perhaps he's okay perhaps he just he's not that fussed. he knows i'll come back and no the minute that we begin to take our gaze from him that we begin to to shift in our priorities that we begin to let the world seep in god begins to act he gets his scissors out and he cuts holes in your pockets and you're pursuing those other things, and sometimes you just think, oh, it's just life's a bit tough, isn't it? Oh, it's the season we're in at the moment. Oh, it's it's the economic climate. It's just the way life seems to be. I mean, everybody's saying the same. You know, I don't have much time to myself, and phew, it just feels like I, you know, I'm working to live rather than, uh, do you know, no. If that's how you feel. What's God saying? He says, consider your ways. Because actually, it might be that God snipped your pockets. Why? Because he's jealous for you. He's jealous for you. He won't stand on the sidelines and allow you to waste the whole of your life running after that rubbish. He won't allow it. He is jealous. And what he will do is he will make Life just feel like it's a little bit more hard work, and I'm running after more stuff, but the money just seems to go through my pockets. He will bring dissatisfaction. Why? Well, because he doesn't like us, he doesn't love us, because, he, because he's annoyed with us, because he doesn't want us to have good things. No, because he wants us to have the best things, and he won't have us go after mediocrity, and he won't have us go after just what the world goes after. I'm reading a book at the moment by a guy called Randy Alcorn, so you can tell he must be American. Not many people in the UK have the first name Randy do they? Um, but So he's an American writer and he's written a classic called um, Money, Possessions and Eternity. It's a great book and I think Matt's, Matt's reading it at the moment, aren't you as well? Matt? And uh, He gives just what I found a really helpful analogy and story. He says it's a bit like this. He says he says, in the, in the American Civil War, when the southern states formed the Confederacy and broke away from the northern states, from the Union, because of the issue of slavery, when they broke away and the, war of, of the, war of the Civil War began, the American Civil War began, the Confederate states developed their own currency. And so they didn't use the, 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 the northern dollar anymore. They developed their own currency. They started to use their own currency. If you had known that that war, how that war was gonna end, then actually all you would have done is you'd have acquired enough of that currency to keep you going through the war years. Because actually the minute the war ended, that currency was not worth the paper it was written on. It was worthless, totally worthless. If you'd had any sense, if you'd have known the outcome beforehand, You'd have stored up enough of that currency to live during those two, three years of the Civil War. But actually, you'd have been given yourself to store up the currency of the North. And do you know what? We've got a bit of insider deep trading there. We've got a bit of an insider information. Because what Randy Alcorn says, that's a bit like how we should be in terms of where our treasure is. The temptation is to build up Resources and finance and stuff that's here and stuff that's important here, but one minute after you meet the Lord Jesus, it will be worth nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you can walk into heaven and you can say, Yeah, but Lord, I, I mean, look, I worked hard, I really worked hard. And what does Jesus say to the man who says that? He says, You fool. Now who will have all the the stuff you've stored up? God says to us, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Where's your treasure? Where's our treasure? You know, this is another point when we can consider our ways. Now it might be that you look back on last year and you think, well, by the grace of God, I think you know what, I think it's been okay. I feel like I've got my priorities a bit right. I think I'm there. I think, yeah, I can always be better, but I just, I think, yeah, thank God. Well, this is a moment for us to consider our ways as we go into the next year and to ask him, Lord, keep me focused like that. Or it might be that you look back and think, yeah, it's a few things where I've just felt my stuff slip. I've gone to my panelled house. See, it wasn't that God didn't want them to have a house. There's two things in the statement where he talks to them. He says, what I've got against you is that you've got an adorned house, a panelled house. Another word for panelled is adorned. You've you've got your third bedroom and your flat screen TV and all the rest of it. And you've done that while my house is in ruins. That's what you've done. That's what I've got against you. God does, is not wanting us not to have stuff, but he wants us to view it with the right perspective. And he steps in. You know, when he steps in and points something out to us, when he shows how jealous he is for us, it is a wonderful, precious gift to us. It is. You think about how it might feel. You might think, well, jealousy is just such an unpleasant word, really. But actually, if you're married, you want your partner to be jealous about you. You want them to be thinking, hang on a minute, she's spending a bit too long chatting to him in the corner over there and they're looking a little bit too intimate for me. I'm on my way. That's what you want, isn't it? You don't want indifference. God is not indifferent to us. He is jealous for us. He is jealous for you this year he is jealous for you and you cannot get away from that jealousy you might try there might not be a thunderbolt but he will begin to frustrate you he will begin to snip holes in your pockets he will make your efforts less fruitful than you wish they were why because he will get your attention and he will get you back. And the issue that is really at stake is how many of your years will you waste before you listen to his consider your ways? That's really the issue, because he will have you back. But it's how much wasted time is there before I listen and I come back? Now, he is the God who restores the years the locusts have eaten. But I don't want to waste another year. I don't have so many of them left. <laughs> I don't want to waste another year. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. What does Jesus says? He says, "You cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters." And as we go into this new year, let's pray that God helps us to just serve one master. Let's keep our eyes focused. Let's prioritise his church. Because the temple was the predecessor to the church. The temple was the place where God was worshipped. And it was the thing that marked the people out from any other people. Why? Because it marked the presence of God. It was where God was present. It marked his presence. You know, I've not been around for a while. And like I say, I've been to other churches and I've had my own personal private devotions with God. I pray, I worship in the mornings and in the evenings before I go to bed. But just being here this morning, there was something, oh God, oh yes. Ah, I'm with my I'm with yeah, okay, I'm with your people. Is that just because it feels good to have company? Is that just because, oh, it's nice to sing with some other voices around you? No, it isn't. It's because this is where God decides he will be present. And if you decide not to be, then you will rob yourself and you will rob him. Because this is where his presence is. You might not like it. You might prefer that it was just with you and him on your own or just your selected one or two in your prayer group, there's nothing wrong with that, but actually this, the church, is where he has determined to have his presence and where he has determined that he will be worshipped just like he was in the temple. And so we cannot afford to make a decision that the church is take it or leave it. He won't let you. He'll come after you. He'll cut holes in your pockets. He'll frustrate your plans because he's jealous for you and he's jealous for the building of his church. He's jealous that you and you and you and I are together in this because that's how he's going to build the church. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. He's jealous for us this year. He is. Next week, we'll, we'll just take a look at how the people respond. And we'll take a look at how God responds. Because, you know, when they come to their senses, he's full of great grace. This is a wonderful story of hope. You know that? Because we'll find out next week that what God does is when the people begin to listen, he recommissions them again. He recommissions them again. Why is the temple so important? Well, let's look and see what it says. I'm just trying to find my verse. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian here today, on your best day, isn't that your prayer? Don't you pray that? Don't you pray those two things on your best day? God be glorified. God be pleased with what I bring. God be pleased with me. On our best days, that's what we pray, isn't it? On those days when we're we've really have cut off the rubbish we've realized what's really important for most christians that i think i know their real deep prayer is god when it comes to me be glorified don't know how but be glorified and take pleasure oh god it would be great if i if i could do some stuff for you and you look with and you and you say well done son i'm so pleased you take oh i'd love it lord if you take pleasure in me so I think that's the deepest cry of Christian's heart, isn't it? That's why God wants the temple built. He says that I might have glory in it and that I might take pleasure in it. That's why He wants you to give yourself to building the church. That's why He doesn't want you to give yourselves to panelled houses. Beware the dangerous voice of reason beware the dangerous voice of reason. Do you know what reason says? It says, well, yeah, but but everybody's got flat screen TV. I mean, yeah, but everybody's, I mean, but it's sensible, isn't it? Come on, put your money in property. It's sensible. Come on. Yeah, work hard. Yeah, I know it means you can't, Get to the temple, but work hard. It's for your family. Come on, it's for your family. So you can have something to leave them at the end when you're gone. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's sensible. It's the voice of reason. And it dispels his voice that says, who are you trusting then? (laughs) Where's your faith? Who are you dependent on? Am I your provider, or is it HSBC Bank? That's what he says to us. That's what he says to us at the start of a new year, and do you know what? It's radical. Boy, is it radical. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's faith. That's what it is. And it means that what you'll do is you store up treasure for yourself in the place where it really matters. Because you know what? This, this life is just like the flyleaf of a book. It's just like the introductory page. There's the whole of eternity. And that pivots on what happens here. There's reward coming. And we have these years to build up reward in heaven, to build up treasure in heaven. And we can so easily just, our gaze can be drawn to what the world is looking at. Because what the world says is that the here and now and the this and the that and the touch and the smell and the taste is, is what's real. And we have to fight against that and it's hard work. I know it's hard work. I do know it's hard work. But there's reward beyond our comprehension if we will keep coming back and saying, no, God, I choose to build your temple. I choose to make a sacrifice here. I choose to have a house that maybe is not quite as panelled as I might like it to be. Because I want to be like the Lord Jesus who said, zeal for your house consumes me. That's how I want to go into the New Year. That's how I'd love you to go into the new year. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to pray. And it might be that, as I've said, there might be there's some things where you think, oh yeah, no, do you know what? I just think God's pointed something in me. I, my gaze in that area of life just, it slipped a bit. Or just my perception and my priorities, they've, 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 they've moved a bit. Or you know that this coming year will have some challenges for you where you could easily, your priorities could shift. You know that there's some stuff ahead, some possible changes, and you know that there's there's just a danger that you could get swept into, oh, it's my business that's more important. It's my business. You know that there's a possibility. And so you're going to earnestly pray, God, keep my eyes focused on you help me to give myself to building the church help me to get my priorities and my perspective in line with you and that's a good way to start the year so what we're going to do is we're going to pray and you can get together with uh, people who you feel comfortable praying with because I don't want this to be one of those occasions where you know you sometimes are with people you don't and it feels like polite praying you know I don't want it to feel like that. I want this to be genuine, heartfelt prayer. So don't leave anybody out. I don't want to see people left on the rows that haven't got anyone to pray with, but pray with people who you feel comfortable praying the truth with, who you can open up a little bit with. You can pray genuine, heartfelt prayers. If you're married, pray together, maybe with another couple that you meet with or whatever. However it works for you, at least get together with at least a couple of other people who you know, you know, I can really pray for these people. And make sure you draw other people in if they're on their own. Is that okay? So we're going to do that, and then I'm going to draw us back together. So I'll, I'll pray first, and then I'd like you to move about. You can move the chairs. Let's tell him what's on our heart. Let's earnestly ask him, Lord, not one wasted moment in this coming year, not one wasted day, certainly not another wasted year, oh God. Yeah? Let's pray. Oh, God, we are delighted that you are jealous for us. We are. We're delighted about it, actually that you should chase after us, that you will not leave us to mediocrity, that once we are yours, the contract is signed, we belong. I am his and he is mine. What that means is that we can grab onto you and hold onto you whenever we want to, but it also means that you are jealous for us and will not let us go. Even if you have to make things deeply painful and uncomfortable to get our attention. And oh God, we are so grateful that you are that jealous for us. You love us with such passion and zeal and intensity that you will not let us go. You will not let us give ourselves to another because we are yours. And we are grateful for that, oh God. Lord, we say to you with holy fear continue to be jealous for us, oh God. Lord, if we begin to give ourselves to another God, whatever it is, Lord, we fearfully, humbly give you permission to snip our pockets and let the money run out and bring frustration to our plans until we come to the point where we consider our ways. But, Lord, we would love even more than that for you not to have to do it. What we'd really love is that zeal for your house just consumes us and keeps consuming us. And we never go down that road where we leave your work undone and you have to just show us again how jealous you are. Lord, we would much rather be zealous for your house and let that zeal consume us so we come into this new year lord we're going to bring some stuff before you we're going to pray with one another and we ask that you'd hear our prayers and that as a result of that your temple would be built we thank you for the foundations that are laid but let us not fall into the temptation of abandoning the work just because the foundations are laid just because it's become a little tough, just because it still feels like we're at such an early stage, just because this temple doesn't seem to look anything like some of the other temples we've been to, let us not give up and abandon the work that you've called us to place our hands to. Lord, be glorified. We want you to take pleasure in your your house and to take pleasure in us and to be glorified in us, in this gathered ecclesia, this group, this church. Well, that's what we want, and we're going to ask you for that now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So.